okay, exploring femininity. I don't feel like as feminine as I feel like I should feel sometimes, but like the shoulds, that's something I need to deconstruct, right? I feel like I'm supposed to be more feminine, but the more I unmask and learn about my autism and my brain and what works for me, I don't know, femininity kind of fell away a lot. Like in the last two years, I don't even dress up anymore. I don't put on makeup. I don't keep up with my nails. I don't do my lashes anymore. I feel like frumpy all the time, especially when I see you because you're like an always overdressed trans mask and I'm like a frumpy femme. (laughs) I always feel so frumpy. The only time I feel really feminine and like cute is when I'm like naked with you and we're doing spicy things. I feel very feminine there, but I don't. I don't feel feminine anywhere else anymore. And I kind of miss it. But I'm also kind of like mourning it and accepting that like I'm not that anymore. But then like what am I if I'm not femme? Well, not to tell you what you are because I'm not going to say that. But there's a big overlap in in the community of like autism and trans identity because it makes sense right so Mm -hmm. much of gender identity is about the roles and so if you are someone who doesn't like subscribe to those roles or understand why they're there and why we have to abide by them and it all feels totally freaking made up anyway instead of something that you just are because it's just like comes naturally to you or whatever to inhabit that role like it makes sense to me that being with someone who's already started to kind of deconstruct gender that you as an autist yourself would have the space or the inspiration potentially to think about it more yourself Mm -hmm. because like Being able to just be yourself and be who you are with me. You don't have to dress up to make me feel good about you. Like, it's fun when we dress up together and get cute and take pictures. That was fun, like, when we went to that festival. Mm -hmm. Um, I like doing stuff like that. But I like dressing up because I like being dapper and I don't really do it that often anymore because I don't have a lot of like social engagements. But like I kind of would like an increase in social engagements just so I can dress up and be cute with you, <laughs> yeah. you know, even if you don't feel like dressing up. And I, I think people just automatically start to think about it when they're around someone like me. As long as their, you know, mind is not totally closed. (laughs) Yeah. They start to think about, like, have I ever thought about that? It's not to say that everybody's going to go into, like, a spiral of, like, gender identity questioning. But I think just kind of, like, living and being visibly queer and, like, telling people I'm non-binary and stuff, it can raise questions for people for themselves that I think be interesting because you know you may unpack your whole entire identity and be like I do want to dress up and be cute but it'll feel different Mm -hmm. no matter what after that questioning it'll feel different than just before when you just did it because you felt like you had to like it'll feel more intentional and then there's there's thought behind it 
And I think that is one of the things that's really great about the, you know, that I think is really great about the feminists to dress up and stuff in that way. Like, they're doing it in an intentional way that it just, it, it's different to do something with intention versus just because it's what it, what has always been done. I think it's just, it's interesting. I, someone that enjoys doing things for myself, like, I consider myself to be, like, pretty handy, Mm-hmm. Which is something I didn't feel the freedom to do in my past, like, serious relationships with men. Building things, repairing things, putting up shelves, putting furniture together. That was something that I was always told, ask him to do it so he feels purposeful. And then you ask him and he just, like, doesn't fucking do it. Mm -hmm. I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. But then for me to do it myself and do it well, that would be a problem. It would be a threat for them, usually. And then you're told through society that if you're a woman that don't need no man, (laughs) (laughs) then that's a problem, too. But, like, a couple months ago, I think right before I met you, one of the headlights in my Jeep was out. And my mom was like, oh, just take it to the mechanic will do it for probably like a hundred bucks or like my mom has no concept of pricing of anything i don't is it a hundred bucks i don't know to get a headlight replaced it's like i don't want to pay all that maybe i'll just like go to one of those parts places and get it myself and just do it myself she's like what if you do it wrong what if you mess it up you're just a girl what if you do it wrong and she had a valid concern like what if i did do it wrong and then i got pulled over or something and like that's a real thing to be concerned about So I had ordered my headlights on Amazon and they sat in ADHD. They sat in my car for like a month and I just like didn't drive at night for a long time because they had a headlight out. And I went to a parts shop because my mom said like, you should really go and like get that taken care of. So I went to a parts shop and I asked if someone there could install it for me. And the guy was like, well, as long as I don't have to like take anything apart under the hood, if I could just easily do it, then I'll do it. But... If not, you'll have to go to a mechanic. And he looked under my hood, just kind of darted his eyes around, was like, nope, I can't do it. And that really bothered me, because I'm like, how hard could it be? I watched the YouTube videos. I know it's pretty easy. Why can't you do it? So, in the parking lot, with my headlights already in my car, I fixed my own headlight right there in front of the window, in front of them, and I felt so good, and it worked. And I went ahead and did my other headlight right there, too. And it felt good to, like, feel handy and do the thing. Like, I fixed something on my car. That felt so awesome. Yeah. I felt like Rosie the Riveter. You felt like you were part of the Fast and Furious family. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Mom, do you need your headlights? Anybody? Anybody need a headlight? Dude, I felt that way when I put, like, when I refilled my, like, washer fluid. Like, I was like, I have done something, you know? Like, it feels really good. We, neither of us were raised learning those kinds of skills. Mm-hmm. And so... It's always defer to a man to do it. Yeah. At and their it, leisure, whenever they feel like it. And just go without until some man does it for you. I can definitely relate to feeling like, what if I mess it up? And and then and then what? Like I would rather just have someone do it, like boop boop, and know that it was done, and I can move on. 
but I do feel at times like it would be, it would feel better to like know some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that will come with time. Like I've always liked old cars. Thought it'd be really cool someday to have like a Ford Phantom. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The like gangst, the old gangst mobster cars. Mm. Um, but like if I if I were to have a car like that, I would want to know about it. I would want to know its history. I would want to know how to work on it. Like I wouldn't necessarily feel like I had to know everything, but I would probably want to feel like it was something that I understood better than just like it's a cute car and I wanted it and now I have it and <laughs> now someone it's rusty else in my driveway. <laughs> someone else takes care of it and I drive it to the car shows and show mm-hmm. it off like I did something but I didn't, you know, like yeah. like I think it would be cool to like restore one with someone. Yeah. My brother restores one of my older brothers restores classic cars. And I've wondered about if I would ask him for help someday I think that would be really cool to get into something that's like typically a guy thing like cars are a very gendered thing to be into collecting or restoring or repairing it's all it's so gendered it's weird you would make a really hot mechanic (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't mind doing something like that and it's, just, it's kind of fucked up that when it comes to vehicles, it's just a known thing. Well, if you go into a car dealership by yourself, you're going to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. If, you ta- if you take your car to a mechanic without a man with you, you're going to be taken advantage of. And everyone just accepts just that's just how it is. You're not encouraged to empower yourself by gaining the knowledge to do the things by yourself. Because God forbid you don't need no man. Did you hear about that story of the black woman in the brick? Did you hear about that? What? There, there was a black woman that went to a bar or a club or something like that. And a man, a, a black man, hit on her and she rejected him. I'm not sure how. I don't think her tone or her words really matter. No was no. And she's also queer. So it was like a hard no. Mm-hmm. And he proceeded to pick up a brick and hit her in the head with it in front of a group of a bunch of other men. And no man stopped him, tried to break it up, tried to protect her. They all stood back with their hands in their pockets. None of them, I think, were friends of his. They were just bystanders that did nothing. And a lot of those men that witnessed that were on TikTok in the comments and making their own TikToks to gain clout off of the virality of the situation to say, well, you're so strong and independent. Why should we protect you? Why why should we put ourselves in harm's way for all these strong and independent women that don't need men? Why do you need us when you're in trouble? It's like, oh, harm's way? Oh, so you're scared of men too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're you're worried about the harm that other men can cause you too. Doesn't that speak to the broader issue that men are dangerous, not that we're so strong and independent? Like did the bartender do anything? No, no one helped her. No one helped her. Did he hit her like repeatedly? Yeah. And she made a video about it and her like she was like disfigured from it. He hit her with a brick. 
right. repeatedly in the side of the face and the head. And all these dudes could say was, well, you want equality. Here it is. Like, it's justified to be hit by a man. And what really bothers me about that is men think equality means, well, I can... I can hit you. I can punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. Women want to be equal. Well, that means I can hit you, right? It's like, no. Hitting you can any- pay me the same. <laughs> hitting anyone is illegal. Hitting anyone is a crime. Because you can't just haul off and hit people. Yeah. But that's all that they think about when women want to be equal in any way. Oh, boy, can fucking hit me in the head. It's just really sad. And that's what I mean when I say that black women are hyper-masculinized or, like, we're treated like dudes, no matter what. It's, like, unsafe to appear to not need a man among when you're, like, among men. You have to pretend like you need them. Even when, like, a lot of dating advice to straight women is ask him to teach you something. Mm-hmm. Act like you don't know how to do this thing so he can feel like a man by doing it for you. But in my dating experience... Not all men, I have to say it once every episode, but in my experience, men want to feel like they have purpose, they want to feel like they're doing the things, but really, it's kind of like an unspoken thing that the woman's role is to really do all the things. Mm -hmm. Men want to be the protectors and the providers. Who are they protecting us from? Other men. Other men. They want to be providers, but also everything should be split 50-50. They want the title of head of household. Church teaches you that. That the man is the spiritual leader, the, the overall leader in the home, the head of the household, the head of the table. But behind the scenes, who's really moving all the gears to make the household run? Woman. It's usually the woman's role behind the scenes to do all of the things, all of the invisible labor, planning the meals, doing the grocery shopping, making sure the kids have bathed, making sure the homework's done, making sure all the clothes are laid out for the kids to get to school, who knows the names of all the teachers and all the best friends and what they like to do together and who knows all the kids' doctors' names and when the doctor's appointments are and what size shoe they wear and what size clothes they wear and where they like to eat and what they don't like on their sandwiches. Who knows all of that? Yeah. But the label of head of household and provider and protector goes to the man for what? It's like they want the label of, I'm the doer. Let me teach you the thing because that makes me feel like a man. But it's just like a cosplay. And a lot of my relationships have gone like that. Like, pretend like he is the man and respect him as the man and defer to him with all the things that you shouldn't know because you're a woman and you're with a man. So why are you doing that? Like, let him play like he's purposeful. Meanwhile, you're turning all the years behind the scenes. Why is it like that? conditioned to it. Then in queer relationships, it's not like that at all. Well, at least in my queer relationship, it's not like that. Yeah. I like that you are, that you have that spark of wanting to figure out things yourself, that you feel brave to do that because I feel like, what if I do it wrong and I get anxious about stuff? But like watching you like just figure things out is really... I think it's 
That's cool. It's not even bravery. It's not courage. It feels it's like, like it to me. It's just what I've had to do. I don't have a choice but to do things myself. Because there's no one to do anything for me. Yeah. I, you know, also grew up a latchkey kid. And I feel like I was largely just kind of left alone to do whatever. So, and I wasn't, I didn't really have, like, I didn't have a curfew Because I didn't do anything that, like, made them worry. They kind of just left me up to my own devices. And it's not like they neglected me, but they didn't have to, they didn't have to be strict with me because I governed myself pretty well. I did that out of the sense of being the, you know, my role in the toxic family structure was to be the straight-A student and the the clown. Mm -hmm. So I got straight A's and I was the comedic relief. I knew how to like dissolve the tension or you know change the mood but I was the quiet gifted one. That was my role. I faded into the wallpaper and got good grades and didn't stir the pot or rock the boat in any way at all. Did not want to be noticed and if I was noticed I better had I better have good grades to show Mm -hmm. and hopefully that's all they notice. That was me growing up. I didn't have a curfew. Um, I also wasn't allowed to go anywhere, so I didn't need a curfew. My mom was really strict with me in that way. I didn't really have a social life because I wasn't allowed to. I'd be at Sherry's like until three in the morning on the weekends with my friends, but we were just like eating sandwiches and talking about shows we wanted to go to and, you know, talking about music and just things like that. Like, we, I never felt like I did anything all that inappropriate or risky. I didn't even smoke pot until my late 20s. I was 27 when I smoked pot for the first time. Me too. Because my mom scared the shit out of me. Like, when you have foreign parents, like, death is an actual punishment. <laughs> like, but your parents will literally threaten to murder you if you do things, so... I didn't have a social life or try anything until I had my first car and, like, job. And then I could be out of the house more. I was very housebound as a kid. I wasn't allowed to do anything. I know it's because my mom wanted to keep me safe. Yeah. And the only way she would know for sure that I was safe is if I was home. Yeah. Um, But when I did get my car and started working, I was doing running starts, so I was never really at high school. All my classes were, like, whenever I wanted them to be, so I had a lot more freedom than the average high school kid. Um, and I started going to a lot of shows and stuff. I, th- I think I still made good decisions when I had more freedom and like, was able to govern myself Yeah, pretty well. I think my mom prepared me kind of well for life in terms of making good decisions as, like, an older teen. Life in general, no one could have prepared me for this last like two years of like burnout and autism diagnosis and depression like I definitely don't feel ready to like reemerge back into the world in the way that I used to like working a traditional job and like all that stuff you're supposed to do when you're cosplaying as a neurotypical yeah but I had to learn how to do a lot on my own and not in like a thriving kind of way but in a surviving kind of way I had to meet my own needs a lot. 
which is why in relationships, I have a hard time making my needs known. I'll isolate instead because that's what I had to do growing up because everyone had their own shit. Everyone was overworked and underpaid and overstimulated and whatever. And my needs were like not a priority outside of like shelter, food. You have clothes, you have shoes on your feet. What are you crying about? Other kids don't have what you have, so get over it. I can relate to the first part of that. I never felt like my parents were like, boo-hoo, if I was, you know, depressed or whatever. But I can definitely relate to feeling like I isolate if I feel something's wrong. Because I usually assume it's something with me. Like, I'm not doing enough if it's not right, if something feels bad. I find a way to twist it (laughs) into being my fault. And, yeah, so I was was the baby, and I had older siblings to learn from by example and stuff. But I feel like a lot of my life has just been fumbling through situations as they arise. I feel like it wasn't until my mid-30s that I started to feel like I wanted to get ahead of stuff and mm-hmm. instead of just like reacting to life mm. and <clears throat> realizing that I have been in survival mode and that's when I realized you know it, it, it really does take a different kind of energy to thrive mm-hmm. than it does to survive you have to believe that you deserve it mm-hmm and thriving and part of thriving is pleasure is the idea of a love that isn't a struggle love that is one that you can that almost feels indulgent in its healthiness you Mm -hmm. know because you can be with that person and you can enjoy them and they enjoy you and if something comes up hopefully it's something that you figure out together and it's not a big deal like if an external thing comes up or sometimes like a old feeling from other things come mm-hmm. up and you navigate it you know by talking about it or whatever but yeah thriving is a totally it's a totally different ball game than surviving and it really requires you to believe that you deserve more than just surviving Mm -hmm. because thriving is seen as extra Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's like a luxury to thrive Mm -hmm. like what did you deserve do to deserve to thrive in your life it's like can we not all just aspire to get to a place where we're thriving minding our own business in our lane, enjoying our own success, minding our business. Mm-hmm. Minding our business. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on minding your business. business. <laughs> um, I just feel like you are able to focus on yourself and your life and just kind of do what feels necessary and good for you and not what's going to like hurt other people you know minding Mm -hmm. other people's business is a way to make your own life miserable for sure i will say this i've never been in a relationship where like the whole minding your business thing where that was such an external pressure on the relationship Meaning, like, you being trans and non-binary, 
and like the societal whatever the issue is that people have against non-binary people specifically it's like everyone's in your business mm-hmm. like even like going to the going to a public bathroom is like an issue that mm-hmm. so many people have an opinion on the whole nine the non-binary identity and like people within the queer people within the queer community having something to say about it mm-hmm. like so many groups of people who seem very focused on invalidating non-binariness i've never been in a relationship where like it was so politicized mm-hmm. even <clears throat> as a black person where inter- interracial relationships get a criticism in a way, even now, even in this day and age, is still like an issue for mm-hmm. people. Maybe not so much in our generation, but like being in an interracial relationship with a white person, they have extended family that have an issue with it. Like, even that is not as intense as like this. Being with a trans non binary person. Yeah. I mean, even in the trans community, there's feeling, there are feelings about non-binary people. Um, we are the white stripe in the, in the trans flag. Not every non-binary person identifies as trans. I also want to mention that. But um, one of the things that I have noticed around that is like I've gone to like a trans day of remembrance kind of presentation about trans people that had been killed or lost their lives one way or another over the past year and the language was still very binary like Mm. we showed up and there were only men and women restrooms so I already like I had to pee when I got there a lot of Trans people end up with UTIs, for the record, because of bathrooms. Just, like, having to wait and hold it because they don't feel safe or comfortable or they don't want to make other people feel safe and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because if I walk into a women's restroom, I can make someone feel uncomfortable because I look masculine. Mm -hmm. But if I walk into a men's restroom, I feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. So being able to just exist is a pretty big deal and I don't I have the privilege of not being hassled as much as other people because of location I live in a pretty accepting area um I'm white trans mask so I (laughs) I'm I don't know like the vanilla of the vanilla of trans people or something in a way like literally because it's just like I feel like trans femmes really get shit on a lot more mm-hmm. than trans mask folks like trans mask folks we get our own kind of shit like you're never gonna be a man and it's like whatever dude like I'm also not trying to be a man right I just like feel comfortable where I'm at with my presentation and I, and I think there are people that assume that I'm going to come out as like a he him someday and you know maybe I would I don't know that's not on my radar but like the thing about gender identity is once you start questioning it like it opens it up to just really like let yourself explore it and it's not a fixed thing it can feel like 
if you know you know a trans person who detransitions or you know they're like trans mask but they decide to wear makeup and do like feminine things and then you're like confused or whatever and it's like well I mean things change mm-hmm. and just because like you thought one thing and it doesn't mean you were wrong because like gender fluidity also exists so mm-hmm. it's just like I think if you just let yourself be if we just let people be who they are without so much of this like prescribed role situation just like where what would it look like to just let people just be like if you're born and you want to wear a freaking dress and you get to wear a dress and you feel cute in it and people just let you be Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of body dysmorphia that comes not from inside but from outside and body dysmorphia isn't exclusive to trans people either you know anyone who's gotten breast implants anyone who's gotten butt implants or like bodybuilders experience it like when they were prepping for a show yeah and then they're done and they eat normal yeah and pack on weight and also not every trans person experiences body dysmorphia either Mm -hmm. like there are trans people who are like i have a girl dick you know or i have a boy pussy or whatever like i have whatever like i have a front hole instead of like saying vagina or something like that you Mm -hmm. know it's it just really depends on the individual and that's the thing you know is like every trans person is different Just like every human is different. Right. And their experience is different. And the way that they relate to and experience their gender identity is different. And so, like, it really would just be really great if people just kind of got to figure that out for themselves and let other people know, you know, as they see fit. Instead of other people just, like, assuming something. Because it just, like, what if everybody could just do what they felt with gender, not just, like the purge you know (laughs) um i have a question for you when we went to the sunflower festival mm -hmm. we went into the little concession stand and you were ordering us some drinks and the cashier referred to you as he and you didn't say anything but i wanted to correct her but i was like wait Maybe you just let the moment pass and it's fine. If I'm going to be misgendered, I will accept he. <laughs> like, I feel more comfortable accepting he than I do she. Um, and it really does depend on the situation. And if I feel like, you know, because sometimes I'll be like, they or whatever. But sometimes it's just like, I'm just going to, the moment is so fleeting. Mm-hmm. I just am going to move on. And also sometimes if you inform someone that they misgendered you, they can make a real meal out of it. You know, mm-hmm. just like, I'm so, and you could probably relate to this as someone, like if someone said something racist and you were like, that was racist. And then they like cry about it, you know? And you're like, mm-hmm. dude, just be like, I'm sorry. Thank you for telling me. I will try to do better next time move and like keep it moving and Mm -hmm. not make it like I feel like and you know not to sound like you don't feel bad like if you've hurt someone you Mm -hmm. know like you want to acknowledge like that was I'm sorry I did that wasn't my intention or whatever um but not like making them feel like bad for saying like hey that was messed up what you said 
not like crying about it and being like, oh, I feel so terrible. I'm such a terrible person. It's just like in a relationship when you're like, hey, this thing is hard for me or whatever. And then the other person's like, oh, it's just so, so terrible. And then you end up comforting them. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, just no, I don't want to comfort you over something that I'm just like, just so you know, that's yeah. for you to unpack later. Yeah. But I, I definitely, I think it's just like, it depends on my mood, my energy level, where it's at, who it is. You know, if it's a barista that I'm never going to see again in my life, then I'm like, uh, if it's a barista that I'm going to see frequently, Mm -hmm. then I might say something just because I would know that like, if I didn't, then it would happen continually. Yeah. But I think... It just comes down to, that's what it comes down to is, and maybe the implication in your question is like, how do you want me to, how, how do I want you to handle it mm-hmm. if it happens? <clears throat> um, or do you want me to handle it? Well, honestly, I think it would really depend on the situation and the feeling Like, is it happening with people that you introduced me to? So then it might feel more comfortable for me to be like, could you just tell them? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know that's going to be a thing. I know it's going to be specifically with my mom. Yeah. Because I recently, I I waited, I waited a bit to tell her about us. Well, about me and then about us. And she had no issues at all. She seemed very happy that I am happy. She didn't seem concerned at all. I don't think she had ever heard about what it means to be non-binary. So I tried to approach that pretty gently and not in a very info dump heavy kind of way. Yeah. Because she was, you could tell she was trying to be supportive, but also processing a lot at once. Yeah. And... And I explained that you're trans, non-binary, not male, not female. You go by they, them pronouns. And then to just give like a little background about you and mention that you have children. Then automatically she will, what does she, 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 and started referring to as she. And I was like, (gasps) like until you can get a handle on that, I'm not bringing them around because I don't want that to happen. And she was like. I'm so, every time she said she, I kept saying, they, them, they, them, they, 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 they. And she was like, I know, I, it's going to take me a second. I'm, I'm trying. She's, there's just no one in her life that she's ever referred to as they or them. And she's old. She's a boomer. Like, she'd rather, I feel like sometimes she'd rather push back on why it doesn't make sense than to be like, no, I'll just keep working on it. Has she ever, like not known the gender of someone that she was referring to and used they. I mean... Or does she use the clunky he or she? Like, that is so clunky. Yeah. Whoever he or she decides is coming, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, whoever they are is coming over. She does the the clunky he or she. (laughs) But I tried to remind her, like, she tried to say, I have to change my whole language. Just give me some time. I'm like, you literally said there. Two seconds ago. She's like, oh, okay, yeah. That's not a point. <laughs> I have I have a humanities professor who has a PhD in Old English and should know better. 
that the singular they has been around since the times of, like, Chaucer. Okay? Like, we've been over this, so I'm not gonna, like, hash it up, but, like, it's been around. And, like, the singular you, when that was introduced, was freaking inferno. (laughs) That was a big deal. What do you mean, singular you? (gasps) How dare? Like, the point being is, like, language changes this is something that's been around for a long time it's Mm -hmm. just when you apply it to a person that you can clap eyes on and we gender code our clothing by what's between our legs and stuff Mm -hmm. people assume or people look at me and assume i'm a dude until i open my mouth and sometimes my voice gives me away Mm. which i've thought about doing vocal training mainly though because it's I feel like I speak at a higher pitch than I should. Like you it, should. Like it strains my voice. Mm. Let me see if I can find where it actually feels like not like I'm speaking in a falsetto. It's closer to here. Mm. Where it feels like in my throat, like not like I'm straining. Mm-hmm. It's down there. Sultry. <laughs> <laughs> it's down there. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, where is my voice going to end up? I think it would be really cool to have a sultry voice. Ooh. (laughs) You do during spicy time. (laughs) Get real low. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. That's a topic for another time. That's a topic for another time. We do have updates, spicy time updates, a new toy every week. (laughs) (laughs) The collection is growing, for sure. I wonder if people are actually interested in our sex life. (laughs) They're going to have to get interested (laughs) if they're going to listen. I think it's interesting to hear people talk about their sex lives. I'd like to hear more about people's sex lives. I think it's fun, especially when you're queer. That shit's fun. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to hear about straight sex so much. Like I'm, we've we've been, been hearing about straight sex. That's the thing. We're tired of that. Yeah. We all know she can't come because she can't find the clit. We all have heard that, like the birthday blowjob mm. and the Christmas anal and the like. <sighs> Not Christmas anal. Christmas anal. Queer sex is fun. Queer love is cute. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know this is old now, but the ultimatum. Queer Love Edition. <laughs> I loved it so much better than the straight one. And I hope oh they do God. another queer one. I guess the thing that I don't like about reality TV is that they manufacture drama. And I'm like, you didn't have to do it. Like, <laughs> drama happens on its own. Yeah. Like, But, like, the, like that extra... It, I don't know. I think I just, like, don't want my nervous system activated when I'm watching TV anymore. (laughs) I'm tired of it because I feel like my nervous system is activated all the freaking time now just because of the state of the world. I want to have those moments where I can kind of put that down and let my brain just kind of, like, take the shoes off and Mm -hmm. put on the cozy jammies and just have that moment where you can put it down so that when you pick it back up again, you're able to carry it better. 
if we don't ever take a break, then... And that is why pleasure is a necessity. Mm. It literally can keep you alive in the world. There are people who stay alive to see the next episode of their TV show that they love. And that is enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pleasure is important. Like, when you are writing on a TV show, do you think about the fact that there are people out there that literally are... And it's not to, like, put that on the person writing the show, but just, like, it's just... It goes to show, like, there are things that you can put into the world that mean something to someone else and can be very deeply felt. Um, Even if you think, like, oh, it's a silly little gay pirate show, you know? Like, there are people it's been deeply moving to uh, see a show like Our Flag Means Death. Mm -hmm. So we could talk about that in another episode too.